this week on Work Upgraded, I'm bringing you my interview with career coach Terry B. McDougall. We explore so much in this conversation, including having boundaries at work, leading your team in such a way that you can have both success and happiness, and how to take a high integrity approach to politics. Please enjoy. Terry Boyle McDougall is an executive and career coach and CEO of Terry B. McDougall Coaching. She helps high achieving professionals remove obstacles that keep them stuck so they can enjoy more success and satisfaction in their lives and careers. Before coming, becoming a coach, Terry was a longtime corporate marketing executive where she led teams, developed strategies, and advised senior leaders to drive business results. She's the author of Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. She's also the host of the Marketing Mambo podcast. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for joining me here on Work Upgraded. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I'm really looking forward to it too. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Um, before we sort of dive into some questions and exploring the future of work, um, I'd love to hear a little bit or share with the audience a little bit your story of how you came to be doing what you're doing today? Well, I worked in the corporate world for 30 years in marketing. The last 12 years of my corporate career, I worked for a large national bank here in the United States and I um, had risen to the level where I was leading marketing. I had four different roles in the 12 years that I was there, all leading marketing for different businesses within the organization. And the last job that I had there was not one that I applied for. It was one of those uh, situations where my boss sort of voluntold me <laughs> to take a certain role that I, I really didn't think it was gonna be a good fit. And I, I tried to decline and she said, no, I really want you in that job. And so I did it. I did it for about two and a half years and I never felt like it was a good fit and I wasn't very happy in the role. There were a number of issues, a lot of issues around even the, the structure of, of how marketing was set up. There, there were just a number of issues too, too tedious to go into, but um, I wasn't happy. And I started thinking about what do I wanna do next? And I looked around the organization. I did not you know, see, see a lot that it felt like was an interesting opportunity for me. So I kind of went back to some advice that I got at the beginning of my career, which is look at myself and ask, what am I good at and what do I like to do? And I was good at marketing, but I had gotten to a point where I realized that it wasn't actually the marketing projects that I was excited about. It was actually the consultative part of my job. It was sitting down and working with senior leaders to understand their problems and then with them co-creating strategies and solutions to address the business problems that they were dealing with and then you know working with my team to to see it through and uh i so i i like the consulting and then i actually did a lot of mentoring and coaching as a leader and so i actually decided to leave my job you know at first i just was looking at it as a sabbatical um, you know, just to sort of like detox a little bit from what had not been a very comfortable couple years. Um, and I decided to get a coaching certification and I did that. It, it was about a six month program. And uh, by the end of it, I actually had convinced myself 
at first my plan was like, okay, take some time off and detox and find another job and get the coaching certification, use the skills in your new job. And then when you get closer to retirement, you can just be a full-time coach. But during my training, I, I kind of like by degrees got comfortable with the idea of starting my own business. And so, you know, once I got the certification, I just thought, well, you know, why not? I'm already out here. Um, why don't I just give it a shot? And it's been four and a half years since I, I left my job and about close to four years since I got my certification, I guess in January, it'll be four years. So, I work with people that are uh, what I call successful, but not satisfied. So in other words, paying a high price for their success in their career in terms of anxiety, stress, sometimes um, negative impacts on their health and relationships as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure a lot of my um, audience could kind of resonate with that successful but not satisfied. Um, mm -hmm. what, what do you find is one of the biggest challenges or one of the most common challenges facing people who feel that sense of success but not satisfaction? Well, one of the things that I have, uh, when I was writing my book, I came across some secondary research that like blew my mind. And it was by this professor at Harvard Business School named Tom DeLong, who studies high achievers. And his, um, his kind of hypothesis is that high achievers are addicted to external validation. And when I read that, I immediately recognized myself because, you know, I was always like, oh, you want me to jump? How high? Right. Like I wanted to get the gold star on my paper. I wanted to get the pat on the back. I wanted to, you know, go for the gusto and, you know, grab the brass ring and all of that stuff. Right. Um, and that's really how I was living my career. I was living my life and my career. I was, you know, I got an MBA and I was really striving. And I, I thought that, okay, once I get to this certain level, um, I feel happy. And I was moving up in my career, albeit not always as smoothly and easily as I would like, but, um, you know, and I, I kind of got to a certain point and I was like, I thought I'd be happy when I was making this much money, or I would thought I'd be happy when I had this, this title. And I think that the reason why you know we come across people that are successful but not satisfied is because they've got those external trappings of success they've been you know concerned about like what does my boss expect like what do i need to do to hit the goal but they've over the years lost touch with what's important to them what makes them happy and what i try to do this is kind of my mission is to help people have that um, that balance, right? I'm not saying like quit your job and, you know, don't worry about, you know, capitalist society. Like I like making money, right? I like the challenges of the business world. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't want to give that up. Um, but I also want to have time and energy to focus on things that bring me joy outside of work. And, you know, I really think it's just a matter of sort of shifting the mindset and believing that you can do a good job at work without killing yourself and put some boundaries in place so that you have the time and energy to enjoy friends and family and hobbies and things that you like to do that, you know, it's becoming increasingly hard to get away from work. You know, like I, when I first started working, there were no cell phones, you know, when you left work, you left work, there were no laptops, they just had desktops, you know, so when you left work, you left work. And, you know, 
some emergency happened, maybe somebody might call you on your home phone, but that was extremely rare. You know, mm-hmm. you, your, your off time was your off time. And now, you know, we're accessible 24 seven. And a lot of people believe that they don't have the right to put boundaries in place. And, yeah. you know, I, I really think that we should be testing that to say, well, what if I left my laptop at work? Or what if I told people that I'm not going to answer email after six o'clock? Yeah. You know, test it. Yeah, boundaries are so incredibly important and I think underrated in a workplace setting because people are like, mm-hmm. oh, but I'm being but I'm being paid to do this. I was like, well, it doesn't that doesn't quite excuse everything. Um, I you sort of charted there how the world of work has begun to change in your working career um, and what effects that's having on people, how, how people balance career and other things. And obviously the world of work continues to evolve. Do you see any particular trends in the future of work that will either make it easier for us to balance sort of our professional success and our personal happiness or will make it harder to do that? I actually posted an article today on LinkedIn about the the great resignation and how burnout is becoming so prevalent and how, you know, some people are literally hitting the wall and the only option they feel like they have is to actually quit their job. And I think that companies need to start building a more humane workplace. Um, You know, I, I will you know, when I'm working with people in a coaching situation, I I actually talk to them a lot about how do you manage your boss? Like, how do you manage up? How do you manage expectations? And to also understand that, you know, you have choices about how you use your time and your energy. And I think a lot of people will tell themselves that they don't have any choice, but to you know, if somebody asks for something that they have to drop everything and, and give it to them. And I've actually, I had a, a client who, it was actually really interesting because he was a very high performer um, and his boss had, uh, had kept promising him a raise and promotion, and, but yet she wasn't doing it. And he brought up with me about how he was annoyed and kind of frustrated with his boss and this is this is so interesting. Um, and we got we kind of dug into that. And it was all about the fact that he felt like she would come to him and ask for things when he was in the middle of something. And he felt like he had to drop everything. And he was putting that on her shoulders. He felt like, you know, she's and, you know, I think that his annoyance was obvious to his boss. And once we got into that, I said, you know, have you ever asked her, like when she comes and asks you to do something, have you ever asked her when she needs it? And he said, oh, no, I just always assumed that she wanted it immediately. And I said, well, why don't you start asking her or even, or even saying to her, is it okay if I get that to you by Friday? And he started doing that. And within two weeks, he had the promotion. And it's, and it's really about this whole idea of they won't let me do it, right? And the question is like, well, who's they? Like a lot of times we have a lot more agency and choice in our jobs, but we've told ourselves things that actually aren't true. And then sometimes we'll 
will um, you know, pin that to somebody else and say, oh, well, my boss is so mean or my boss is so annoying because she does this. And it's really just us looking at the situation through our own lens that who knows? And actually this, the situation with him was really interesting because he had um, been a track athlete in high school and college and his dad had been his coach and his dad was a real taskmaster. He didn't allow him to not do things. And so that's where that came from. But his boss had never told him that. He just assumed it because that had been his experience before. So I thought that was super interesting. And when he, you know, in between sessions, when he came back the next session, he was like, oh, I got my raise and my promotion. I was like, wow, amazing, amazing, you know? And I think she was just holding back because she didn't like his attitude. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's amazing how one simple change sort of unlocked a thing that he'd been sort of trying to get to and been a bit frustrated about. Um, and it was just finding that correct change to sort of change yeah. the narrative at that workplace about him and his skill and whether and his readiness, I imagine. Yeah. Do you have any tips for leaders who, so maybe if we imagine we were kind of talking to his boss in that scenario, because I think a lot of my lis listeners are in this position where maybe they have team members who you know are on the verge of greatness or on the verge of sort of really finding their fit in their workplace mm -hmm. do you have any tips for leaders to help um journey with their teams and increase their overlap between their team's professional success and personal happiness well i i always think that it's important to understand what matters to people and in some ways you can use their desires as the carrot to lead them forward on their path. Um, because we need to motivate people, right? And if we understand what's important to them, we can, as we're directing them or, you know, trying to help them to grow or learn, we can put it in context so that they understand that, okay, you know, for example, maybe you're you know, teaching them a new skill or you're delegating something to them that they're not that interested in, but you know that they want to get promoted to the next level. And so maybe you share with them, like, I know this might be a boring part of the job, but I need you to understand that if you are to be promoted to the next level, you're going to be doing this. This is going to be part of your responsibilities. And you know, you learning this under me so that I can mentor you, that's going to make you stronger and, you know, maybe a better candidate to be promoted to the next level. Then they understand there's meaning behind the thing that they're doing. Even if they don't like doing it, at least they can say, oh, okay, this is one of the hoops I have to jump through to be ready for that next, that next level. So I think putting things in context is really critical. And I think being very clear with expectations, I, I see it very often that leaders will, they'll say to me like, oh, I'm so frustrated with this person. Like if I was in that situation, this is what I would do. And they're not doing that. And I, I will ask them, well, have you explained it to them in that clear of terms? And a lot of times they'll say like, oh, no, I just kind of assumed that that's what anybody would do. And we have to really understand that, especially if you're a leader, you're in the seat that you're in because you see things, you've worked harder, you know, you've got skills that people under you probably don't naturally have. Now, it's not to say that they can't develop them, but if they were 
If they saw everything the same way that you see everything, they'd probably be sitting in your seat, right? Um, you know, we have to understand and, and see the gaps between where we are and where the people we're leading are and, and break things down, you know, like bring them along in baby steps. Don't expect them to take giant leaps. Um, occasionally, we will have people that are capable of doing that, right? And, and those are the ones in my career that I was like, oh, hallelujah, thank goodness I have some, you know, really high performers here. But not everybody's like that. And you have to bring everybody along as a leader, you know, so you have to understand what do they need in order to cover that ground. And it's probably going to be something different than what you would need it. Yeah, definitely. It was really interesting in, in both sort of those two stories that you shared um, about the fellow that was sort of like not struggling to push back on his boss and then talking about the leader there that is struggling to pull their team up to where they are. Um, you kind of mentioned the mistakes people made because they made assumptions. Um, mm -hmm. Do you find assumptions can be a bit of like a culture killer or a performance killer at work? Yes, absolutely. Because what happens is when people make assumptions, they're judging. And nobody likes to be judged. You know, that they'll say, oh, well, of course they knew that. And look what a terrible job they did anyway. And it's, I think it's really important to try to stay neutral, to try to go back to the root of the issue and check for understanding there, right? And to do it in a very neutral way. Like, you know, my understanding was that you were gonna do X and you gave me Y. Is there a reason why you did that? You know, and it, it, they might say, oh, well, your boss came and told me to do this, or this is the way I used to do it when, I was in the other department, right? And then you can, you, it's an opportunity to provide more clarity, but also to, it's really important as a leader to preserve people's confidence and trust as well, you know? And, and I think a lot of times, you know, leaders will be very judgmental and come in and just assume everybody sees things the way that they do. And the reason why they're not performing is because they're stupid or that um, they're they're being obstinate or something like that. And I I really believe that, you know, 99% of people come to work to want to do a good job every day. And if they're not doing a good job, it might be because it's not clear to them, could be they're in the wrong role, you know, it's not a good fit for them from a skill or motivational standpoint. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the first thing that leaders need to do is to say, is it something with me or is it something with the company? Is it something I can fix to make them more, you know, capable of, of performing? Sometimes it's not that. I mean, we all know that sometimes there are underperformers, um, but you've got to check those things first, you know, because mm -hmm. you don't want to you know, discourage somebody who actually has a lot of potential by, you know, judging them harshly or yelling at them or something like that. I mean, that will, that will break trust. And, you know, not only will people probably not want to perform, but sometimes they'll even sabotage. <laughs> we don't mm, want that. The opposite. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's a really um, wise observation there. And actually that sort of my company's like business tagline is unlocking your team's inner magic. And that is like really exactly what I'm talking about. It's this idea that, mm -hmm. you know, 
sometimes the situations and scenarios we create at work hold back some of the potential of our team members to to be their best selves at work Uh, and there's a lot Mm -hmm. we can do as leaders to clear out the stuff that gets in the way um, and create sort of a clear path for employees to perform really really well Um, I'm really curious in our sort of warm-up chat before the um the podcast episode before we hit record we were kind of touching on um the role of sort of influence and navigating politics in your career Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so I'd love to hear some of your observations or if there's a particular story from a client or your own career where you sort of understood why politics happen at work and how to navigate that yeah it's funny because um you know when I'm working with a lot of clients will say to me I don't want to have anything to do with uh, politics. You know, that's icky. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to, but recognize by you saying that you are giving up the opportunity to influence within the organization. That's what politics is. It's influence. Now, I think that there's a reason why people don't like politics. And I think it's because I, I wrote about this in my book. I call them players, not players, players, you know, like the slick people that, you know, they, they come in and they can manipulate within the organization and they, you know, they buddy up to the boss and they, um, you know, through social engineering are able to get paid and not really do a lot of work. You know, I, I've certainly run across a lot of people over the years who would try to get other people to do work or take, they would try to take credit for other people's work and that kind of thing. And I think that those people, there are a lot of people that actually can rise pretty high within organizations without really doing a lot of solid work. Um, and I think that those people are the ones that give office politics a bad name. Um, I think that the best combination is to work hard, you know, be good at your craft, whatever it is, and start to understand the dynamics of the organization that you're working in. You know, so like sometimes zoom out and look at the bigger picture, understand the interrelationships in the organization, even understand, observe who likes whom, what executives get along and what ones don't. Like, what do people care about? What are their motivators? Um, I know in my career, I, um, I was very naive in the early days. And I just assumed like everybody was there to want to do the best for the organization. And not everybody is motivated by that, right? Like people in sales are often like motivated by hitting that next commission level, right? To, and a lot of times they'll do whatever it takes, right? To get to get paid at that next level. Um, There are other people that are, you know, jockeying to get that next promotion to SVP, whatever. And they have a lot of, um, they have a lot of choices about what they decide on, right? I've seen people make decisions that I sort of questioned whether that was the best thing for the organization. But I think observe, you don't have to judge, but observe. Because if you want to influence people, you have to understand what they care about. You know, when I worked in the, I worked in a bank and I led marketing for, I mean, over the 12 years that I was at my last job, I led marketing for several businesses and I had interactions with a lot of people and I had to get a lot of people to say yes to a lot of the initiatives that we were working on. 
And I, I mean, I wasn't like a gossip, but I did keep my ear to the grapevine to understand what was going on. Like I made friends with all of the executive assistants and I would stop and chat with them because I got a lot of information from them about things. And sometimes it helped me whenever I was working with someone, you know, to maybe bring something up if I knew it was going to be a hot button for them, if that was going to get them in a good mood or if they, if they, you know, preferred some, you know, one thing over something else. And then it was just helpful. You know, I didn't want to get them off on a tangent that, you know, they were going to complain about. I wanted to get them into a place where they were ready to say yes to the things I was proposing. And it's just a matter of understanding human nature. Actually, I, I this just brought an idea to my mind of an experience that I had. Um, it was actually early in my first job there and I was leading marketing for the investment bank. And I don't know why, but in investment banking, a lot of times they have co-heads. So rather than having one CEO, they have like two. And I was meeting with the, the co-heads of the business and I was proposing this particular event that we were gonna do. And one of the co-heads was very engaged and he's nodding, he's giving me a lot of feedback and he's like, yeah, let's do it, right? The other guy is sitting there he really wasn't saying much though. And so I walked out of that room thinking that I had a green light to move ahead with this project. I put together the draft plan and I sent, sent it back to both of them. And the one who didn't say a lot came back to me and said, why in the world are you doing this? I did not approve this. And what I learned from that was that he did not want to challenge his co-head in front of me. And so that, that taught me that I needed to tread more lightly. I needed to get explicit yeses from both of them. I ha and, you know, so that helped because he blamed me. He did not blame himself for not speaking up. He blamed me for not specifically coming to him and asking if he was okay with it. And I, I, saw, I, I assumed right? Like you, you said earlier, I assumed that if he wasn't okay with it, that he would speak up. But you know, you have two like type A personalities in there. He just didn't want to go there. Yeah, oh, it, it is such a challenging thing to navigate. But it is amazing the insights you can unlock by doing what you say, like, just stand back and observe, like, you don't need to become a puppet master or anything. But you do need to understand these things. Because even if you opt out of politics, politics will still have an influence on you and your career path within that organization, unfortunately. So yeah, that's awesome. Awesome insight. Thank you, Terry. Um, so unfortunately, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but that does sort of bring us up on time. Um, so thank you so much for kind of sharing your insights and stories with the listeners. Uh, I think they will have found it very, very valuable. Um, if listeners are wanting to check out more of your work or, or give you a follow somewhere, what's the best place for them to find you? Well, they can check out my book on Amazon Worldwide, and it's called Winning the Game of Work. Um, I also have a podcast for anybody who's into marketing, and it's called Marketing Mambo, and it's got its own website, marketingmambo.net. It's also on all of the platforms. I am very active on LinkedIn and my handle on LinkedIn is Terry B. McDougall. And my website has a blog and a couple free chapters from my book. And if anybody's interested in speaking with me, they can set up a free, no obligation uh, exploratory call with me. 
uh, at my website, which is terrybmcdougall.com. Brilliant. And I'll make sure to pop links to all of that in the show notes as well so people can find you really easily. But thank you so much for your time today, Terry. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me, Lauren. It was good talking to you too. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Terry B. McDougall. Definitely check her out. All of those links are in the show notes. And as usual, you can find us under Wizard Innovation Labs on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and Wizard Team Labs on Twitter.